0: Hello and welcome to the Radio DNS Roundup of 2020. I'm Nick Piggott, I'm the Project Director of Radio DNS, and I'm joined by the Radio DNS team to talk about what we've achieved in 2020. With me is David Layer from the NAB, who's the chair of Radio DNS, Ben Poor from the EBU, who heads up our technical group, Andy Buckingham, who runs technical operations, and Rose Kendrick, our project coordinator, who runs the project office. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to fill you in on what's been happening with hybrid radio. And if I can, I'll start with you, David, and ask if you can explain how the steering board works.
1: Thanks again for uh, asking me to join you here today. I uh, have been associated with Radio DNS for quite a while, actually. This is my uh, second opportunity to serve the board. I was elected the, the steering board chair nearly two years ago. And it's been a great experience too, working with you folks, um, working with our members, working with the rest of the steering board. It's uh, It's been very, very uh, exciting and interesting interesting work and very important work too, I think. But to, to your question, Nick, about how we're structured, we have members. I think right now we have about 30 members. Maybe, is the number 32, Nick? Is that the exact number? I think we're gonna start um, 2021 with
0: 32 members, which is definitely, one of our highest membership numbers ever.
1: Yeah, so that's exciting. Hopefully that's, a, you know, in some way an expression of the industry's recognizing the importance of hybrid because, of course, I'm preaching to the choir when I say something like that uh, to this group. But we have our members. We have a steering board of 11 uh, individuals who are elected uh, to that office uh, every two years. Um, in fact, we're coming up the uh, on our next election, which will be in February, I believe. We have a pretty diverse... A group of members on the steering board. We have steering board members from Australia, uh, from Germany, from the Netherlands, from the UK, from the US. Uh, I'm, of course, one of the U.S. members. I work for the National Association of Broadcasters located in Washington.
0: The board protects the members' interests and provides the strategy to and oversight of the project office, the project office being myself and Rosie. We've had some director changes during the year, with Badgerie from NPR joining the board and John Farrell leaving.
1: And Nick, I guess, I guess one um, sad uh, bit of news this year was that IRT is going away. And we've had Alex Urk on as a, as a board member for as, as long as I've been on the board.
0: Yeah, and Alex has been a great voice and a big contributor on behalf of the German-speaking public service broadcasters. So the loss of the IRT is a big loss to the hybrid radio community and the broadcast technology community. It's been a busy year for the board, so what do you consider to be the most important activities of the year?
1: Well, we kicked the year off with a bang, Nick, as I recall, because we had to update our membership process. And that was just kind of a, actually, a, as, as I recall, kind of a, a vestigial problem, if you will, where as the organization grew, the, the documents which govern the organization became a little out of alignment. Um, and we took care of that. Uh, I, you know, Nick, I think one of the most important things that has been done this year that we've been involved in are the auto workshops. I find them to be incredibly uh, interesting and useful. And maybe you'd just like to say a word or two about what, what that is.
0: Probably the best person to talk about the automotive workshops is Rose, as she coordinates them alongside our colleagues at World DAB. I think we've had three automotive workshops this year?
2: Yep, we've had three this year. One in February, which was face-to-face, and the others online. But even those online meetings have received a really high attendance and great level of participation as well. The feedback we get is that they really keep the automotive and broadcast industries together and have kept the discussions happening. The workshops have been good at encouraging understanding and there have been a few problems identified, gaps in understanding around DL Plus and visuals and manufacturers have described how they implement the logos and then broadcasters have been able to work out what they can do and then what needs to happen on their side as well
0: yeah it's kind of created a very safe space to have some quite honest discussions about what's working and not working and um we've had some really good outcomes where people i think have understood a little bit more about what it's like on the other side for for the other guys trying to implement technology um and trying to avoid some of the workarounds that we've seen
1: you know nick and and frankly too you know you've had really good participation i mean i think i think you've had to turn people away from these These events,
0: yeah. I mean, physically, we've run out of space. So, in a way, the move to uh, the kind of normalising of doing things online has really helped us. Because I, I think at the last workshop, we had seventy people um, around the virtual table, which we would really struggle to do in in the real world. Um, So, in a way, this this change that's been forced upon us has been positive for us to be able to get more people. Um, listening and contributing to really quite useful discussions about practically getting getting this stuff done and fixing things.
1: Nick you asked about accomplishments this year and it's really quite a long list. I don't think I I would have time on this this podcast to to touch on everything. I, I mentioned the auto workshops because I really I have really found them to be valuable and I'm sure others have as well. The only other thing I'll mention right now though is I've been very pleased with the the work that that you and Rosie and other radio DNS folks have done to help with the uh, hybrid radio rollout in the US because it's it was it's just this year now that we're starting to see cars with hybrid radio in any number and Radio DNS has been instrumental in helping me to to educate US broadcasters about what's happening and what they need to do.
0: Yeah, and I think that's um, absolutely what we should be doing. We we kind of have I think we have two roles in Radio DNS. One is technical and to set standards and to make sure those standards work um and keep the framework the technology framework together but the second bit very much is about educating people um and helping people uh, get from conceptually thinking that radio dns and hybrid radio is a good idea into actually putting that into place um and i guess one of the things that we've found interesting this year is because we've had our opportunities to see people face-to-face and to talk to people face-to-face somewhat dramatically curtailed, Um, the way that we've had to approach events and communications is different. Rose, what other kind of changes have we made in the way that we've dealt with people and interacted with people and educated people this year?
2: Yeah, well, I think a really big thing is this podcast, trying to get as much information out as we possibly can Events are brilliant and we'll still go to them. We're going to be at CES next year and also hoping to go to radio days as well. But for me, something that can just be listened to at any time is even better than going to an event because we're able to let people know our latest news no matter what time of year it is. And also, we all work in audio here. Am I the only person who prefers to listen to something rather than read it? So I'm really excited about these podcasts, and I'm really hoping that they reach people that ordinarily wouldn't be able to get to events, meet us, and be able to find out more about Radio DNS. We also send a regular newsletter. We've nearly a 1,000 subscribers, but we do only send an email when we have something to say, and that works out at about 10 times a year.
0: Sorry, Rose, I was going to say, because this year we we finally got to our website revamp, um, which... I think we'll always be a little bit of work in progress as we understand how people want to find information about radio DNS. but that's been quite a big change for the way that we present and organise information online.
2: Yeah, when you first spoke to me about it, Nick, you said that as radio DNS has grown and developed, all the information is there on our website, it's just, it needs to be a little bit easier to find and maybe a bit more streamlined, and I think that we've achieved that this year with the website, it's definitely cleaner and much more easy to follow.
0: Yeah, obviously one of the, the things that we've um, added to the website this year has been our standard terms, um, which I think is one of those pieces of work that we've did, which is about removing the obstacles or the barriers to people adopting hybrid radio. So the majority of those obstacles and barriers are, are technical, and I'm definitely going to um, be asking Ben to explain to us in a second all the technical things that we've been working on during the year. But the standard terms were certainly one of those um, pieces of work that wasn't wasn 't technical but seemed to address a concern that people had uh, about deploying hybrid radio and the extent to which now um, metadata and content from radio stations is not just being made available but also being used and we We were aware that um, there was some potential for misunderstanding about what reasonable use of content would look like. Um, and as a result, after some consultation uh, and talking to people who would benefit and be impacted by a change, uh, we came up with our standard terms, which I think is still a very pragmatic document to define what what a common understanding of good use of um, metadata and content is. Uh, and we put that onto the website, it will live there permanently as a reference point.
1: Nick, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that those were, were very well vetted. It
0: certainly had some very significant review time and, uh, and input on and lots of comments and feedback. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they are a very fair and reasonable way of um, explaining how um, hybrid radio acquired data can be used. And that's probably a nice, a nice introduction into what the technical group has been doing, um, Ben, because you head up that group, which is a bunch of the technically-minded members, and you are the point at which new standards get created. What's been on the technical group agenda this year?
3: So, um, as you mentioned, Nick, we're, the technical group has been quite busy this year, actually, and I'm really, um, really quite pleased that the development has been made. So a couple of the important things are is that we've um, cleared a few roadblocks, should we say, if that's not a pun, uh, around <laughs> specification work. Uh, to highlight that, geo-fencing or geographical linking of bearers has been a top subject, uh, mm-hmm. as well as analytics, updates to um, some of the more outdated parts of the service and program information specification, as well as looking at updates to um, the Viz, the radio Viz specification in terms of push events and uh, more modern web technologies. So um, there's been some updates to existing work, there's been some new topics, um, and I think that the progress this year has been very, very good.
0: Give us, a, give us a quick overview of the geofencing work. Can you give us a bit of insight into why that came to the group this year and what you did?
3: Yeah, it's quite right. We've, we've had geographical information in the specification since its inception. Um, but really, like a lot of the specification, the service and program information specification, um, there was mostly guidance, we say, and and the the use cases weren't necessarily strictly defined. Uh, so um, against a bear or FM DAB HD, basically a way of listening to a service, you could define some geographical information, such as a polygon, so an area over which potentially that could be received. Although that was again was a suggestion, a point which could be the transmitter. Uh, or a country which could cover for instance ip streaming saying you're allowed to stream it in this country but not in this other country but again we didn't really have a very clear definition for instance um any geographic information was always assumed to be allow rather than disallow Um, and uh, it wasn't really linked to any strong use case i think that came when um we had some feedback from our colleagues in the us and i think here in europe we have a slightly different situation certainly around being um, having a distinction between uh, how uh, usage and licensing works over broadcast mm-hmm. and internet streaming. Um, in the US, they had some quite specific requirements that they wanted to at least have a bit more broadcaster control uh, on where you could stream and where you could broadcast or where you prefer to broadcast. So again, it's all about following the, the scheme of using the specification to signal broadcaster desire or preference and then allowing the device to make its own decision on what to do. So the changes made are primarily to allow, for instance, the concept of uh, allowing a a bearer to have a geographical location, which is also disallow rather than just allow, and also to put some guidance on how a polygon should be interpreted by a device if it's against a a specific bearer.
0: I I think, I mean, David, you certainly championed you championed in that use case from the U.S. broadcasters of actually wanting to prefer much more strongly prefer broadcast over streaming to the extent where actually there were areas in which streaming was was disallowed, not allowed.
1: Well, and I I had a lot of support too, Nick, because um, and I'll I'll just call out iHeartMedia here because uh, this is an issue that they're particularly keen on, and we had some really. Uh, meaningful technical input from uh, some of the folks at iHeart on what needed to be done to the standard. And I think that, uh, you know, it was a great uh, collaboration.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Alan Jurison at um, iHeart did some really spectacularly detailed work to um, look at what existing broadcast coverage looked like and to define quite accurately uh, polygons within which it was a, a very high certainty of good broadcast quality and and that intensive and really kind of detailed look at it i think really helped inform the discussions about for instance to does a polygon needs to be defined to a great deal of detail does it need 300 points to define it or can 12 or 15 do just as good a job
3: yeah i I mean uh, i'm very grateful again just to add to what david said of of the input that was given by IHA and others as well And I think it reflects a kind of, it's too easy when you're writing specifications, should we say, to be broad or to just think of it from one angle. I think the key really is to think of specification development from different angles. So the broadcasters, the manufacturers, uh, people who define the data, people who use the data, and actually putting a sense of pragmatism, as you gave in a good example of of, uh, finding a way to justify why a polygon could have a slightly reduced complexity. Uh, obviously we could model the fjords of Norway quite spectacularly with a polygon, but it wouldn't necessarily <laughs> result in um an efficient data set and it wouldn't be usable by a manufacturer as well. So I think um having a, a technical group which is made up of very clever people, uh, broadcasters, manufacturers, implementers, service providers is key, and having the sense of pragmatism as well. So I, I I take my hat off to all involved. And I also wanted as well to add on what was said earlier on that um about the IRT's involvement. The IT has always been quite heavily involved in the development of standards for radio DNS and other areas as well obviously so we're very grateful for their contribution um, and uh, and work in the hybrid radio
0: over many many years I I think that's uh, definitely worth saying again just how much IRT have contributed and I hope that there's a new way for the German public service broadcasters to continue to contribute to development of technical standards because they have a very diverse and very important radio market um, and it would be um, really quite a loss not to have a clear pathway for technical thinking from that market into standards organizations like ours ben i talked a bit earlier about uh, the standard terms and how uh, the addition of hybrid functionality and that ip pathway is allowing for more content to flow between broadcasters and receivers. Obviously, we've talked a little bit and referred a little bit in the geofencing discussion about sensitivities over how some of that data is used. And uh, another piece of work that the technical group has um, concluded this year is this concept of being able, able to identify trustworthy partners through the client ID Um, So what's client ID, and and roughly, how does it work?
3: Oh, that's a challenge, how to describe that roughly. Well, I guess roughly you could say, uh, you're right in saying this is a piece of work that's been, um, again, uh, long in development, and it's been really glad to have this as part of the published SPI specification this year. In essence, client ID is um, what some might consider to be an API key. It's the the reflection that... uh, it's great that there is open data, accessible data that is essentially, should we say, free to wear. Anyone can access data from broadcasters, but obviously broadcasters increasingly want to have uh, some more control over their data because data is important and there are concerns like prominence and measurability, which means that they don't necessarily want to put out, should we say, high quality or additional stream versions of their content for, for in the metadata for public consumption. They want to maybe have individual agreements with different service providers or manufacturers that allows them to manage that a bit more tightly. So the idea of uh, client ID is to allow them to reach a bilateral agreement um, or even wider than that with different uh, service providers, aggregators, manufacturers to say, well, I'll give you more data or I'll give you uh, data audio streams in higher quality or higher quality logos or larger logos, something that adds to the free public data set that is for your use and can be governed, for instance, by terms and conditions. But obviously, that's not part of the technical specification. But the specification for the client ID gives them a mechanism by which that service provider or manufacturer can supply an API key, identify themselves in a broad sense to the broadcaster and say, well, this is who I am. Give me um, the additional data that we've agreed on previously. So although it's quite, it's a very simple change, really, it's, it's, conceptually, it's been something that we've thrown back and forth We've discussed uh, different parameters. We've made sure that it's um, it's uh, usable by, again, service providers and manufacturers, and it has some, um, it has some uh, implementation underpinning against it.
0: So it's driven much more by more clear use cases that have evolved as hybrid radio has rolled out. People are beginning to uh, identify that they need additional functionality and they want to protect some of their content, and that's given all of the kind of background and the basis of information for putting together client ID yeah
3: exactly I mean as mentioned before the specification started off in quite a broad sense but now based on input from RadioDNS members and others as well we're able to pin specific use cases against requirements so the technical group considers um, problems real problems that people have and then how to solve that in a way that fits in with the, um, the ethos of how we work at DNS so being non-discriminatory, largely open, uh, interoperable and something that the entire industry can use that moves people away from proprietary standards, should we say?
0: We always were aware, I think, when we uh, put together an organisation that bridged the world of broadcast with the world of internet that it was inevitable that internet speed would start to affect the way that we created standards for broadcasters. So I think we probably have proposed more updates to standards than um, it would be typically the case for a broadcast standard, because we're reacting to use cases as, as they're arising, as people see opportunities and functionality that they want to exploit. I know one of the kind of current pieces of work, which is really important for uh, the broadcasters, is to get better analytics. So, what's the kind of sixty-second view of how the technical group's looking at analytics information?
3: Well, again, it's along similar lines. And, and, and absolutely, I think there's the clash between the, uh, should we say, the old, the old broadcast world. I hate to use the word, word old because it's not, but the traditional view of broadcasting and, and the speed that that operates and the new internet world. And it's, it's quite easy to implement things on the new internet world because you essentially don't have to interoperate with anyone. Um, so what we're trying to do with this new piece of work around analytics is to try and work out how we can create a generally useful uh, specification an open specification for how connected devices send back analytics to broadcasters um, that's something that is quite easy to do with websites and internet streaming and other internet based services like that but how does that work from a range of different connected devices like a connected car like a connected radio and how does it work from tracking for instance listening across both broadcast and broadband as well to put some measurability on how hybrid devices are being used by people and how broadcast is still a hugely important part of that as well.
0: One of the members of the technical group uh, also has a role uh, keeping radio DNS rolling every day, which is uh, Andy Buckingham. So Andy, tell us first of all about uh, a piece of work that you're putting into the technical group at the moment.
4: So yeah, currently working on a standard for defining a common push transport for um, potentially multiple radio dns applications Uh, initially it's being viewed from the angle of a uh, revision of the slideshow specification so um, there have been various kind of discussions going on over the last couple of years around how it could be improved and how we could tweak it but mainly focused around the current transport that's used and the fact that we have two transports in the current standard to allow both web-based operation and operation in other environments. Um, So looking at how we could potentially harmonize those, um, one of the other requests that's come in a couple of times which we're looking at is having a way of transporting metadata outside of exclusively a, a visual environment, so being able to send artist title, album information as well. And so if we're going to start looking at that, rather than having to kind of, have a third or fourth push standard? Can we potentially harmonize all of these so that there's a common um, framework that those applications can then sit on top of? That's been going really well. We've, we've produced some technical demos of it and, and shown it to the, uh, the members of the technical group and uh, things are progressing quite well on that.
0: So, I mean, that's essentially turning something that when we thought about it initially uh, had a very specific use case about let's get visual content to people and developing it more into a kind of multifunction tool that allows people to push arbitrarily information from from a broadcaster to a large number of connected devices yeah absolutely brilliant and as well as being on the technical group you also look after our kind of day-to-day technology operations and all of those registration requests that come in uh, end in your hands so tell us a little bit about what you've experienced with dealing with the users of Radio DNS during twenty twenty.
4: Sure. So um it's been it's been um a a good year again this year in terms of the number of registration requests we've had in. Um we've had a new country this year. We had our first registrations for Latvia um coming in, in October. We are still seeing a couple of the kind of common um registration pitfalls with new requests that come in. So th- these are broadly in two categories. Um, People that contact us who aren't familiar with how Radio DNS works and potentially view it as being more of an um, online radio directory service. So come to us specifically without broadcast parameters and ask about being listed. Um, and the second one is people who've understood the kind of core concept of Radio DNS, but not perhaps understood that as well as being registered in Radio DNS, they also need to run an application such as SPI. We've been trying to improve the way that we communicate back to those people when they get in touch. And I think also there's going to be some work involved in that in in trying to through all this outreach we're doing through the podcast, through the newsletters, through being at events, just just kind of clarifying what that message is and and kind of what we're about.
0: We did a really good seminar, um, which David set up for us with uh, through the NAB which was really hands on wasn't it i mean you were literally writing code on the screen <laughs> yeah C- coding live which is uh, always a very
4: dangerous thing to do but um yeah it kind of uh, explains to people um that that was an interesting event as well because we were trying to we were trying to bridge that gap between people who are traditional broadcast uh, transmitters those kinds of things and those who work in the kind of uh, new media digital web sphere and tr- trying to get both of those people in the same room and explain to, to the the relevant people what which bit of this would interest them and explain to the others how easy it is to implement what
0: the first group would like them to do. So, yeah, it was really positive. And it's quite, it's quite visible when you get down to that layer of implementation, um, that issue of there will be a set of people who understand all the broadcast implications of hybrid and often a completely different set of people who have the technical programming know how to implement it and access to the digital assets and it's it's when you get down to that implementation layer that you you begin to have to very much encourage people to talk to each other within their own organizations
4: yes yeah and and we've we've seen positive steps with that happening as well even with some of the larger uh, registrants that are in the database seeing those kind of connections being formed and talking to each other about those issues
0: we obviously uh, have a lot of people put forward registrations and we um, have a role in that of validating and checking those registrations what tools have we got available for people to to check things of their own that they can kind of self-serve and self-check things
4: so there's been two kind of important uh, developments in that area this year um firstly we um released the testing tools for members that allow them to test a server-side implementation so if you've um set up um You've got yourself registered and you've set up an SPI server, um, being able to point the test tool at that implementation and get feedback on on what's right, what's wrong, what you might need to fix. Um, that's been going through effectively a beta phase this year, and we've had lots of positive feedback on it. There have been some issues identified with it in terms of um, very large files that some of the big aggregators are putting out there, um, causing it to trip up. And we're working through those at the moment and also... Um, tidying up some of the ways that the reporting information is given to them because it can be quite verbose in what information it gives. Um, And and another thing that we've worked on as well is um, providing um, command line tools for um, the more serious developers that are perhaps mainly at larger stations being trying to uh, automate some of these processes and be able to kind of develop like a, a a workflow or a pipeline so that when they make changes they can verify it themselves and minimize the amount of interaction they have to have with us in terms of back and forth to fix issues
0: that's really really helpful and i think another indication of something where we've heard from people who are trying to use the service what's easy and what's hard and we're developing practical tools that people can use to get around some of the obstacles and get around some of the slightly more steeper implementation challenges uh, so that as you say they can systemize it and it becomes much easier to do yeah yeah and and the um the,
4: the tools are all, all kind of out there on uh, github and i'm sure we can provide some links to be put into the description as well just for how you can go out and find those yeah great
0: i think we've covered there a really comprehensive overview of what radio dns is and what it does from our corporate structure and the way that we're governed um, through the strategic technical work that we do, the way that we're communicating with people, the way that we interact with people to educate them and encourage them um, through the work of the project office, and then right down to the, the nitty gritty of how do we get people registered and how do we get people live on hybrid radio. And, the extent of the practical support that we're giving people to do that so i just want to say thank you to david to ben to andy and to Rose. not just for contributing to this podcast but also being the um, small but very very powerful and very effective team that makes up radio dns and creates that growth and that enthusiasm for hybrid radio every year
1: nick likewise i i think we need to Recognize and thank yours and Rosie's efforts as well because you all have done a lot this year. You're so good at what you do and it it really shows in in how things are are moving along nicely with Radio DNS.
0: Well, I appreciate that, David. Thank you. Um, So we'll finish up here, but we'll continue keeping you informed about Radio DNS through these podcasts, through social media and on our website. And of course, you're always welcome to contact us directly on feedback at radiodns.org. Thanks to David, to Ben, to Andy and to Rose, and thank you for listening.